You're listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Our guest today on the Tremendous Leadership Podcast is one of my heroes, Peter Greer. Peter is the president and CEO of Hope International. Many of you have heard of that. And he's also the author of one of my all-time favorite books titled Mission Drift. You are going to love hearing what Peter has to say about what it takes to pay the price of leadership. All right. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Tracy Jones. Welcome to the Tremendous Leadership Podcast, Leaders on Leadership, where we pull back the curtain on leadership and we talk with some of the greatest leaders that we have ever met. And we talk to them about what it took them to pay the price of leadership. And today, I'm very excited because I have one of my heroes that I have the honor of interviewing today, and that is Peter Greer. Peter Greer is the president and the CEO of Hope International. Probably a lot of you guys out there have heard of it or are supporting one of their children. Hope International is a Christ-centered micro-enterprise development organization, and it's serving through Africa, Asia, Latin America, and Eastern Europe. Peter has co-authored over 10 books, including Mission Drift, which is how I came across this incredible individual. And Mission Drift, if you haven't read it, it was selected as the 2015 Book Award winner from Christianity Today. And I say a hearty amen to that. And also his book, Rooting for Rivals. I can't wait to hear about that. And that was selected as the 2019 Leadership Resource of the Year in Outreach Magazine. More important than his occupation is his role as a husband to Laurel and dad to Keith, Lily, Miles, and London. Peter, I am so excited to have you on this program today. Oh, the privilege is mine. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Awesome. And for those of you that are local listeners, Peter's organization, he can talk about that more at the, at the end. He's actually headquartered in Lancaster. So Mrs. Tremendous was from Lancaster. Uh, that's where dad met my mother in Lancaster. So a lot of a lot of tremendous things going on in Lancaster, of course, Lancaster Bible College, where I just finished my PhD program. So Peter, just just thrilled to have you on today. And one of the things that my father always talked about was leadership. And he had a speech called The Price of Leadership, one of his top speeches. And in it, he talks about that there's four things that a leader is going to have to pay in order to actually call themselves a leader and be a leader, not just claim the title. And the first one, Peter, that he talks about is loneliness. And we've all heard that term, it's lonely at the top. But can you share with me, with your extensive background and what you've done, different aspects of your life, what does loneliness mean to you as a leader? Maybe a time that you went through loneliness and what you would uh, say to encourage some of our leaders that may be listening right now that are in that season of loneliness. Thank you. And I'm going to take a little bit of a different take on that question, if that's all right. Please do. Um, First thought that came to mind was actually early in my time at Hope, I believe there was an element of self-imposed loneliness. Okay. Different from the price of loneliness that I think is very real. But so what's the self-imposed loneliness? And, And I think for me, it maybe was best embodied by the fact that when I joined Hope International, on my wall, I had a graph. And on that graph, I had the growth rate of Hope International and where we were supposed to be. And then I had that compared to the growth rates of other organizations. Now, what did that do? If that was my driving metric, and I was looking at growth as the equivalent for this is the indicator that is measuring our success. Right. And I put the other organizations and said, how are we doing? 
well, if we're doing well, that's going to make me feel good. And if it's maybe not going as well as, as someone else, that's going to cause me to maybe not be. Um, and there's this great proverb about how envy mm-hmm. rats the bones. Mm-hmm. I think that that element of whenever we make someone else's success, whenever we make someone else the arbiter of how we are doing, we are having a faulty comparison. We're having a faulty measuring stick. And we are on a path that will not end well. So when it comes to loneliness, what does that do? If you look at other organizations in your space, in your sphere, and you say they are the competition, well, that means if there's trade secrets, you're going to hold on to them. It's that you are somehow, as some way, kind of looking at them as doing well, you maybe not are going to be eager to be generous and open-handed with them. And so I think about the self-imposed loneliness that at its core was rooted in an unhealthy attitude of an us versus a them. And whenever we define others as them, as those people, and whenever we think that our work is somehow to be measured against other organizations, as opposed to what if we had a bigger, grander vision of what are we doing together to accelerate the end of extreme poverty in our lifetime? Or what if together we had visions, we had dreams that were impossible because they were so big and so audacious that they couldn't be accomplished alone. Mm. Those things would draw us closer together. So I think about the unhealthy way that looking at other organizations actually cause an element of isolation and loneliness that I am so glad that those walls have been torn down. And even in this crazy world that we're living in right now, we just long in the midst of this current moment to say, we need friendships in the midst of our challenges. We need alignment. We need to be in this together, like truly, truly to be in this together. Mm-hmm. And I think about the changed attitude that said there is no, you're not the competition. Right. And allowed relationships to grow with other organizations that have been so enormously helpful, beneficial, critical during this time. And during the last several months, We've been open-handed, we've been sharing, we've been having calls with other leaders, and it has been so life-giving. So I think that's the first piece is how can we, there's enough loneliness from the decisions that need to be made from the complexities of the jobs that we have. Let's not add any additional isolation that comes from an unhealthy uh-huh. of what the competition is. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I don't know if it's Robert Louis Stevenson. Somebody said, um, comparison is the thief of joy. And I always remember that because if you're doing better, then pride puffs you up because it's part of our nature. And if you're not, then you start going into depression. So it's like just, and especially we're in kingdom work. We're all called joint heirs. Come on, man. I mean, I understand in the private sector because I am in the private, I get, I get a little bit more, but even they're like, we're not, there's no competitors. We're all collaborators, especially in this world. If we're all here to make a difference and make the world a better place. And I love that you said, don't add to the loneliness because there's plenty of it to go around. I love that's that. It. That's absolutely it. Yeah. yeah. And that was C.S. Lewis. Yeah. That is a great, great quote. The quote that you just gave that. Oh, was that C.S. Lewis? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yep. My all time, uh, another one. He's, he's right below you, but you're above him. But he's, he's another <laughs> one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. So that was loneliness. So the next thing my father talked about was weariness. Okay. Because we've got these bodies, these shells, and uh, until we get our, our new presence, we're going to be run down. So how do you, Peter? especially when there's so much riding on you and you're really dealing with stuff in the world that really should not be, but is because of the fallen nature of the planet that we're on. 
but you're victorious in it. How do you stay replenished though? Because you've got to stay at the top of your game. How do you stay refreshed? Uh, Brian Stevenson, author of Just Mercy, has this great quote, something about you cannot step into the challenges of this world without it also impacting you. So for him, the work that he does on death row, and you better believe that he bears an element, not the complete, not all of the aspects, but if you do the dangerous work of loving others, it is going to impact you. And so for me and my work, we're doing global poverty alleviation. We're working in some of the most challenging places on earth. And absolutely, there's an element that it does when you love deeply, you feel a little bit of the hurt, not all of it, but you feel a little bit of it. And so weariness, that is a real issue. And that's not just for me, I think about the global team that has a far more difficult job than I have in terms of every day going into communities and trying to work to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring fullness uh, in these communities. And it is hard. It is absolutely hard work. So a couple practices for me. One is, do you have a not-to-do list? I think one of the dangers of a leader of a growing organization is that if you keep doing everything that you used to do and just add a little bit more, oh. if not every time you take on something new, figuring out what you stop doing, if if you don't have a stop doing list and only have a to-do list, you are eventually going to be overwhelmed and unable to carry all of the weight that you're carrying that maybe you don't need to. Mm-hmm. And the bit of that, for me at this point, it's every time I say yes to something new, it has to come with an accompanying no, because I'm not getting any more hours in the day. So okay. anytime I say yes to something, it has to come with a no to something else. And that helps keep a little bit of equilibrium. And the best part too, is then when you start letting go of things, you realize there probably are other people on your team who are even more capable of doing that work than you are anyway. So it allows you to spend more of your time on the things that you're good at that bring joy in life and to give others that are uniquely gifted to do those other things better than you were doing them anyway. Yeah, that's one. So what we stop doing Mm -hmm. uh, is super important. Second thing is when I think about the last few years, I think about this time in my life where my wife, the the kids were in bed and we were having a conversation and, and she said, Peter, I love you. Peter, I'm committed to you. We've been married about nine years at that point. And she said, but Peter, I feel nothing for you anymore. And she unpacked that more. And it was really because I was given my family leftovers. And I was prioritizing work, never realizing that when I said in our marriage that I would love and cherish you above all else, I only thought that that was above other people. I never realized that you could love a mission. You could love an organization. You could love even a really good cause more than the one that I pledged to love and cherish above all others. And so I think the second kind of piece in getting that level of equilibrium is do the people that are closest to you know that they are your priority? They're the barometer of how well you're doing in your weariness. And if you have nothing left to give to the people that are closest to you, then my guess is you are also carrying too much. Mm. A real simple thing. Maybe someone needs to go home after work today. Maybe someone's listening on their way. And to the people that are closest to them, say, Do you know that I choose you first? Do you know that more than my vocation, more than my whatever it is, fill in the blank, do you know that I choose you? 
And then I think about the third one is the benefit of limits. Andy Stanley has this great series about guardrails, and there's a whole lot of wisdom in that. And for me, the guardrail of saying, I am going to be home by dinner time, or it counts as a night away, and I only have a certain amount of night away every month that I'm allowed to do. And having that benefit of limit allows me to say no to good things so that I can say yes to the very best thing. So those are some of the habits that help with weariness. And if you can't remember the last time your phone was physically separated from you, that might be a life-giving thing as well. For me, when I get home, part of that being home for dinner is that my phone goes in a drawer and I do not uh, touch it until after the kids are in bed. And that is life-giving uh, to, to my family. I love that. Well, so those also, are some of the practical. Yeah. I, I love that. And and one of our classes right in the beginning was in the doctor program was very about Sabbathing. And I hate to confess this, up until five years ago, I didn't Sabbath. I wasn't intentional about it. And so that, but I also love that you talked about you're in that marriage and it's not just about having somebody there, but what that person in that covenantal relationship and your children can be for your sense of purpose and advocating for you. And to never, I know here you are with this mission, God, this mission has to be first. And, and I grew up in that generation where our dads were traveling 300 days a year and we got it. They had to do the world thing. But I mean, I just think there's trade-offs for everything. And that realizing just the replenishment and the refreshment you get from your life partner that God put you with, go closer to God, the triangles, go closer to God and go closer to each other. So thank you for bringing that up. That's beautiful. And the next I one, I learned it from a book as opposed to from experience. I wish I could have learned it another <laughs> experience, uh, but thankfully, there's a whole lot of grace and changes, and we're all yeah learning what it what it looks like uh, to love love well. Yeah. Well, love well, and and that you were open to hearing it and not just saying because granted, you guys are going to be together forever, but you didn't just take that as it well. But this is the way it is. It's like when I was in the military. Well, honey, you married somebody in the military. So when I get the call, I get the, and that's true when you marry somebody in the military, they get the call. But this, you took that and you said, okay, we need to adjust accordingly. And then the stronger your family unit is, then the stronger you are. It's not a matter of prioritizing. It's all congruent. It's all congruent. Yes. It's one big yeah, ball of stuff all together. Yeah, yeah, no, well said, well said. Thanks, Peter. Well, one of the things you hit on you talked about Andy Stanley and guardrails and Henry Cloud has one of my favorite books called Boundaries. I mean, I'm just like, uh, or Necessary Endings, which is all about stop, 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 bound, you know, don't go here. Just don't even think about it. Stay here, stay in your lane. But you kind of hit on with weariness, the next topic, which is really abandonment. And I know people are like, oh, fear of abandonment, abandonment, abandoning a child or a relationship has a negative connotation. But in The Price of Leadership, my father talked about Every day you're going to have to abandon something that you like and want to think about in favor of what you need and ought to think about. And he defines it as kind of this real hyper focus as, you know what, you just, you know, every day count everything and stay very intentional about it. How do you really stay? And I'm going to plug in for Mission Drift. This is what Mission Drift is all about. And I read it in one of my classes and it was so good for me because coming in, running a second generation business. Is it me? Is it my dad? Is it books? Is it speaking? Is it writing? What is it? And I was just all over the place. And you really helped me get clarity on what is the core DNA that I need to stay true to? And how do I guard that? So there's other things I can play with and create in the creative space, Lord willing that he guides. 
But I mean, you have this book for every, every leader out there, get it. Because once you start growing and going, you know, it's the old new levels, new devils, and you're start going to get these things that sound good, but they're going to pull you just off focus, even one megahertz and you're not, and your people can't hear what your mission is anymore. So sorry for talking into your question, but talk to me about, I, I love the book so much. It's one of my top 10. So can you talk to us about abandonment? Oh, I'll be quiet. I'm sorry. No, I'd rather listen to you. I was so excited about that book though and talking to you about this. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I mean, truly, it's so fun to hear how the book has, has been helpful to others. Part of the reason why we wrote it is because we looked around and we saw that there are far more examples of drift than there are of organizations, multi-generational issues, multiple generations of faithful leadership and faithful impact. And we said that we want that to be our story. We don't want to follow the well-worn path of drift. So what do we do? So it became this research project trying to find organizations that stayed on mission and then those that drifted and tried to figure out, so what did they do differently? What the organizations that stayed on mission, what did they do differently? And I love what you said, because I think that really in many ways is the core. Is there clarity of what your mission is? And oftentimes that is, there's a level of assumption with generation one. There's a level of assumption. Of course, everyone knows what our core mission is. Of course, but then over time, the means that we use to accomplish the mission, sometimes we get cloudy in our thinking. Mm-hmm. Are the means the way that, or what is our core mission? And so everything comes down to that question of, do you know your mission? Yeah. And I would say that is true at an organizational level and it's true at a personal level. If you don't have clarity of mm-hmm. what is the main end of your life? Like, what is the purpose of your life? What are the things that you believe God has given you to do in the years that you have life and health and breath? Then we're not going to be able to answer the then question of, okay, so if that is true, then what do we do? So clarity of mission, everything starts with that. And then intentionality of practice. And that's what we see in you. That's what we see in the writings of your dad. That's what we see even in this conversation is that it takes work. And if you're not willing to roll up your sleeves and dive in to pay the price when things are hard, if you don't have clarity on what your mission is, it's going to be really hard for you to be willing to pay that price if you don't really believe in the mission or know what the mission is. Again, coming back, do you know with clarity, here's what I'm about. And therefore, this is what I do with intentionality in the daily and weekly and annually habits, patterns, practices that are going to allow us to live and to run the race that we have, to finish well, and then pass on that baton to the next leader that's going to get ready to run as well. I love it. So how do you, with hope, how do you stay really dialed into that mission? Because, you know, the world changes and all these things. How do you stay really spot on? Because you have stayed so pure and true to what the original intent was. How do you do that? Well, wouldn't it be wonderfully ironic if my colleague and I wrote a book on mission drift and then we become a case study of <laughs> in, in a few years. So there's a little bit of internally imposed and hopefully yes. pressure that we have put on ourselves uh, with that. But the challenge, and this is part of the research, was we were looking for those, show me the one big thing that we can do that will make an impact. Show me, but I love your example of what you said. If you're one or two degrees off, it doesn't make a difference if you're going three steps. Right. If you're one or two degrees off and you're taking a flight from Boston to LA, 
you better believe that one or two degrees makes it, but you're not going to end up in the right place. Mm -hmm. So I think that similar principle is that you've got to constantly know what your true north is and then constantly be doing course corrections. Mm. And the idea of drift, this idea that current, you're not standing still. You are moving right now. The currents are taking you. And the question is, are you doing the hard work to say today, the decisions that I make personally, the decisions that I make organizationally, am I finding my true north? Am I changing my approach to get back in alignment And that comes to the hiring decisions that we make. It comes to the personal practices. It comes to the culture that you're creating as an organization. It comes to the measurements. It comes to where you pursue your funding. It comes to what you say yes to. And so all of those things in and of themselves are one degree of separation. But you got to make sure that those little decisions, they're just not little when compounded by time. So constant change, constant reevaluate every decision in light of who you are and what mission you've been given. I love it. So you mentioned, do you have a ministry partner with you at Hope? Did you say that? Just that the book was written with Chris Horst, my colleague. Okay. I'm sorry, who is Chris? Chris. So he's another Lancaster, another little plug for Lancaster. But he born and raised in Lancaster, and he is our chief advancement officer and a dear friend. And he has uh, written uh, several of the books. Um, uh, we, we've written several of the books together. Well, and I love why I kind of drilled into that is probably a lot of people listening are solopreneurs or really small or like me looking for the right person to kind of grow it with to the next level. So can you tell me how you dialed that in? Because you really need those people who they have an idea, you have an idea. But how do you harness that to get that synergistic growth? Any recommendations for us on that? So much of the work that we do and the joy or the lack of joy that we have is directly related to the people that we show up and spend time with at work each and every day. So I would say number one is before, during, and after those hiring decisions, get on your knees and pray for God's favor in the hiring decisions. That you, it is so Lord, you're so right. Important. And then I think about a simple two by two that when I think about Chris and when I think about others, this two by two quadrants where you kind of have two different ideas. And so the two ideas is, do you trust the individual's heart, their, their core motivation, like who they are? And do you trust their head and their competency? And if you have someone that you have the highest level of trust in their heart, they're here for the mission. They're, it's not about an ego trip. They're here for the right reasons. And you have the highest degree of confidence in their competency and how they are going to do. If you find those individuals that score highest in heart, highest in head, oh, you also get back on your knees and you say thank you um, as well. And I have the enormous privilege of having not just Chris, but a team of colleagues that trust their heart. I trust their head and we're in this together. And so I just think that that is so, so important. And, you know, the kind of Gallup kind of survey, the 11 questions that they have based on all of their data and all of their research. And they state one of the questions in terms of job satisfaction as, do you have a best friend at work? And whether, you know, you could argue with that term, is that the right term, best friend? But if you talk about, do you have someone at work that you absolutely just trust them in? Mm-hmm. 
that will make an impact on your day, that will make an impact on your joy, that will address the loneliness question that we started with. Right. Weariness. Yep. Oh, absolutely. All of these things we've been talking with. And I think that's kind of the, when I think back over the history of hope, just nothing but gratitude for the group of individuals that I get to work with. And I would say one other thing and a willingness to say when we get it wrong in the hiring process and to not be afraid. And this is kind of the isolation or the difficulty, weariness. There are some decisions that weigh heavily on you and none weigh, none should weigh more heavily than the difficult HR discussions and decisions that impact real people that appropriately should weigh on you, but it should not stop you from doing what is going to be right for the long-term health and vitality of the organization. So I think about you don't get to the good stuff without also some of the pain and, and willingness to know when you didn't get it right and to call that when that happens as well. And, and so those are some of my greatest regrets, some of the most challenging moments, but also so grateful that we were able to make some difficult decisions to realign ourselves and to make sure that we are a team of committed people and that trusting head and trusting heart, high level of trust as an organization. Well, I am so thankful you said that because, you know, people like me, and I know if I'm doing it, I know everybody else is doing it. Is looking at you going, oh, Peter, so, so gifted, so spiritually gifted. And of course he's changing the world. He has this team. If I just had just one good person, I could do it. So thank you for your transparency and letting us know it is, you know, you can't get it right without the right people. And my dad used to say that my problem isn't motivating me. It's keeping everybody else from demotivating me. And so you either got, even in your own innermost circle, you either got people that are, I love that, that with your heart and your head and everybody's got to be committed. And you got to keep checking in to make sure they stay committed. Because like I said, mission drip, somebody can be all in one year and the next year go, you know what? Something's changed. Ecclesiastics, the season is over. And so, yeah, I think for leadership, that's really the biggest thing is watching the moving people pieces. And just like you said, getting on your knees (laughs) and giving it to God and having the difficult conversations. You said it better than I did. Oh, no. Well, thank you for sharing that. Because like I said, when we... When we got all these successful people on here and they've been quite transparent about, you know, this is, we have to make those tough decisions just like you. And that always makes, that always just for, I know for our listeners out there, even for me, that's just really, that gave me great clarity and a great confirmation from the Lord. So thanks, Peter. Well, anyone that is in a leadership role of any sort that does not talk about challenges or failure is not talking the truth. Every single one, there are challenges and failures that we have. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so the last one after abandonment was vision. And I think uh, a lot of times we look at people and go, well, I don't have vision. You got to have this sixth sense or this kind of road, you know, like Paul blinding light, you know, whatever it is. But my dad always said that vision is really nothing more than just seeing what needs to be done and then doing it. Because a lot of people see what needs to be done, but they don't do it. So can you talk to me about how you hone your vision and how, uh, you know, we talked about staying true to it, but the world never stays the same. So how do you craft that vision and how do you stay open to the slight tweaks or reinventions that we have to do? 
I love your dad's one-liners, by the way. No one got complex truths in a, a more concise way. I, I just, that, that's another. You, you've shared several that I was not, I know some of them, but you've shared some new ones that are just awesome. awesome. He does, yeah. He had a way of saying stuff and he'd kind of say it backwards. He'd like flip wisdom and you're yes. like, wait, what, what? And then he's, like, <laughs> he's right. He's right. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, no, so good. And I do think about, you know, that's the Proverbs 2918 where there's no vision that people perish. Like there is, if we don't know where we're going, we're going to start turning in on ourselves and yes. aligning. It relates to mission drift. Do we know where we're going? And if you cannot articulate that moment, then we have challenges. And I actually wonder in light of 2020 and all of the challenges, my guess is the organizations that really have been able to survive or thrive in the midst of changes are those that have come back to a clear and compelling vision of why they exist as an organization. <laughs> and I think that those that haven't had that ability to clearly articulate, this is where we're going. My guess is this has been a much more challenging year <laughs> on them. There's something so powerful and aligning about a clear and mutually owned vision for individuals. So how do you keep coming back to that? The simple uh, word that comes to mind is repetition. You just have to keep on <laughs> stating it and you have to keep on talking about it. Yes. And, and I yes. think by the time that it sounds old in your ears are probably the time that it's being heard and understood. And yeah. I think for leaders to say a small number of things and to keep saying them, that is probably more powerful than to have an arsenal of different ideas that can cause organizational whiplash mm-hmm. uh, to keep going, bouncing different ideas, as opposed to every time I speak, you're going to hear me say these things because this in this season is what matters most. Love so it. come back to reinforce, to repeat, even at the moment that it starts to sound maybe stale in your own ears, it probably still is It's having the powerful aligning impact on the organization. Mm, I love it. And how has the pandemic affected you? How has that changed how you've operated? Oh, this has been the most challenging season of our organizational history. I don't think there's been a lot of attention in the United States in media about the impact of COVID on the most vulnerable around the world. Right. Right. I have friends over there, so I hear, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But if you you haven't seen, exactly. And and we're thinking about schools and there's a lot to think about with that. We're thinking about health and we're thinking about the economy and we're thinking about all those things. But truly, the people that have been impacted the most are people that are living so close to the edge already. Hmm. And so for us as an organization, that's where we work. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we respond? And so for us, it's coming back to that mission. What do we do? What do we do as an organization to live out our identity and our mission in the way that we respond in these times? And so for us, three things that we did. The first is we do not typically do this, but we pivoted our program to do immediate relief in the communities that were impacted the most. And the reason is because when the economy shuts down, Our core mission is about investing in entrepreneurs, helping them start and expand small businesses and sharing the hope of Jesus. As we do that, that is impossible to do when the economy shuts down. And so while there was full shutdown, there literally was no food in certain areas 
And so we responded with relief, something that we don't typically do. But then in peace is how can we live out this mission in this time? And so for us, it was all about, we're going to walk with entrepreneurs that at the end of this, they're going to know that the team of Hope International was with them. And so that meant creative ways of adapting programs, doing more digitally, connecting virtually, doing more. So many of the entrepreneurs that we serve ended up manufacturing face masks as part of their business and just adapting and adjusting. And, and we provided grace periods during this time. And then the third is additional capital once economies open up to jumpstart their businesses. And so really it was based on listening to the families that we serve and letting them tell us, what do you need right now? What is going to be the most loving way for us to walk with you during this time? And again, just the power of showing up, the power of praying together, the power of reminding each other that in the midst of all the challenges, we still are people of hope. And so let's figure out how to walk through this together with our eyes on where we're going and knowing that God is in the midst of all of this, even in the midst of the current challenges as well. Some of the ways that we've responded. Right. And and I love how you pivoted on that. And it kind of reminds me of how the reach out by the small business and the president to small businesses, which is the backbone of this country during that time to get us through. I just got to get you through this period. I'm like, I'm sorry. That was brilliant. As a small business owner, that was brilliant. But I mean, for our listeners out there, when you go over to some of these areas, I've been spent a lot of time in Eastern Europe and, and Africa. If people don't work, they don't eat and they don't get unemployment and they don't get government checks. So it is literally talk about living close to the edge. They are, they are the most industrious people. They're up, they're willing, they'll do whatever it takes, walk to get water, anything. And when you lock down, that's it. And so we don't know that because we don't hear this. When you lock down an economy where if people don't work, they don't eat. What do we do? We get unemployment and we order off of Amazon. I mean, it's not ideal, but it's not life-threatening. And so then to see how just even supporting over there. So anybody out there, and Peter will talk at the end, but if you can support any of his work or anything out there, what $100 a month can do out there for somebody like that? You have no idea. And how you get to just bless them and help and help them get through this. I mean, that's why, because right now, yes, we want to preach and we want to teach and we want to exhort and teach them how to, you know, but we just got to live right now. And so I'm, I'm just thankful for you that you had the clarity and the wisdom, brother, to see that and say, we do need to pivot and tweak this and get these guys through this. Yeah, I so appreciate that. And thank you for your heart for uh, individuals in our community and individuals around the world as well. Yeah, I really do think this is a moment for all of us. Uh, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's yes own for courageous compassion in the midst of all of the challenges that we are facing. I know so much we can do so much we can do, especially with the technological infrastructure we have going on right now. And they're all 5G over there too. I'm like, when you go to Africa, I got a better cell phone service. Eastern Europe, I'm like, I can't, you know, but I go to Africa and man, I'm world. And so you can send stuff all over the world to help people right this second. So don't let that hold you back. But Peter, I'm watching the clock here too. Anything else you want to share with our leaders, just any other leadership thoughts or takeaways that you'd like to leave them that we maybe haven't hit on? Yeah, I mean, the only other thought that I have is during this kind of time that we've been living through, I do find that I uh, process ideas about through writing. And so that has been fun. But just this week, launched a book uh, called Succession. And the piece that was so interesting in this is just coming to terms Every single one of us, we are all interim leaders. Every single one of us, no matter what our role, no matter 
how long it truly is interim. And I think the greatest question is not what happens while you were there, but what happens two years after you've left mm. organization and to really be intentional, not just about your own leadership journey, but to say, what am I doing right now to pour into the next generation of leaders? What am I doing right now to build something that intentionally outlasts me and my tenure? What am I doing to have a culture that says it is about the cause, it is not about the personality in this current moment? And I think there's a wonderfully freeing and powerful way that when we extend our gaze beyond our current term, it will change the way that we lead today. And maybe, just maybe, might be part of the antidote for some of those feelings of burnout. Maybe if we are looking about how we can empower the team around us, maybe we won't carry quite as much and it might lead to more health. Maybe as we think about kind of the long-term vision of the organization, we're going to release certain things that are going to allow us to do our job better and to set the organization up for better long-term success. So that's the only thought because I've been thinking about it a lot over the last several months is just the greatest gift that we can give the organizations is how we leave when that moment comes. And it's too important to just leave it to chance. It's too important to just hope that it goes well. Absolutely. The Bible even says we're we're just a breath. In a moment, when people talk about this COVID, I'm like, did somebody just tell you that you're not immortal? Because you sure acted like you had no idea that any moment, (laughs) come on, guys, and figure it out. Either you're okay with it or not. And if you're not, you got to figure out unpack it. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, I love that too. And you know, that part of the thing, you know, it was the old Elijah, Elijah with me and dad. I'm like, you know what? This is not him. This is not mine. This is God's. And once I got my head wrapped around that, I was like, so whatever happens, you know, I'm going to do the best I can. And then the Holy Spirit's going to take care of the rest. And he's going to have this go on forever, or we'll just leave little seeds to hybrid off into something else. But I saw the new book coming out in your Facebook page. So Peter, where can people get in touch with you? Get your books, get Succession and hear more about Hope International and just all that good stuff. Stay in touch with you. I so appreciate that. So yeah, Hope International is just hopeinternational.org. All written out, no hyphens, just hopeinternational.org. And then for the books, and if anyone wants to connect with me, social media, Peter K. Greer is where I'm at. And I blog also peterkgreer.com. And that's also where you can find information on the books. And yeah, if I could be of any help to the listeners, love to do it. I think we are part of a yeah giant family and love yeah. being with others. So yeah, peterkgreer.com is the best place to find me. Awesome. And for our listeners, if you like what you heard, please hit the subscribe, hit the like button, leave us a comment, uh, drop me or Peter a comment. We'll put this out there and we will have all the links down there for the books where you can pick up his latest books, his past books, all that good stuff and hear more about his organization. So Peter, again, thank you, brother, for sharing your wisdom, for what you're doing for the world and just the encouragement that you have given to me and I know everybody out there listening. Thank you so much. So much fun to connect with you again. Thanks, Peter. I'm so glad we're so close, just down the road. I love it. All right, folks. Well, listen, thanks so much to our tremendous listeners for tuning in to the Leaders on Leadership podcast. Thanks for being part of our tremendous tribe. Have a tremendous day. Thank you for listening to Tremendous Leadership with Dr. Tracy Jones. Find out more about Dr. Jones at www.tremendousleadership.com. If you've been ignited by something you heard in this episode, let us know by leaving a review for Tremendous Leadership wherever you listen to podcasts or by sending us a message through www.tremendousleadership.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.